What's up, everybody? Welcome to a special edition of the Throughline Podcast. Jay Larson here with you with, like I said, a special episode. I've been listening to all the feedback, the criticisms, the opinions, the appreciation uh, from all your listeners, all the fans out there about the podcast, and I decided to switch it up and offer you guys a special full-length interview with Michael Kelly from this week's Binocular episode. And as an artist, when you're creating something, you don't know what it's going to come from. You have an idea, nothing exists, you make it, it turns into something. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's a ton of people like it, sometimes a couple people like it. Now, as an artist, there's different ways you can approach this. You can listen to it and be like, I'm good, I'm good with your feedback, but nah, this is what I'm going to do. Other times you can look and be like, hey, those are really interesting points. That is a good idea. I should change that. I want to make the best product possible, and I want to do something that's not just fun for me, but fun for my listeners. And when I started the through line, what I wanted to do was take some of the things that I'm interested outside of comedy and make episodes about them and tie two people together from different worlds and see if there was a common connection. Now... I've heard a lot of people saying, I don't like when you interrupt and then we don't get to hear the guest. You're not an expert about this thing. Your guests aren't expert. I heard, I've heard everything and I've listened to all of it. And so I took some time and I asked myself, I'm like, what is it that you really want to do? What, why do you want to take these topics? Why are these things important to you? And I realized the thing that was most important to me was talking to people. That's what I like to do. My comedy has been based around that, whether it's taking a wrong number, whether it's talking to people in a grocery store, whether it's walking an old blind man home. Most of my comedy comes from interactions with people. I like people. I'm interested by them. I like people that are into different stuff than I am. I like people that are in the same stuff as I am. So for me, what I was trying to do was make something where I could give an opinion in with different ideas. And now, honestly, some of your feedback has been kind of insane. Like that stumble right there. Like people aren't allowed to stumble. I get it. So what I want to do is put out a full interview and hear what the response is to that. Because what I was able to do with Michael is I, binoculars was going to be our thing, but we talked about tons of other stuff. And it was fun. We laughed. We got serious. It was inspirational. It was a lot of stuff. And I thought, let's throw it out there and see what you guys think. So, this is it. Let me know what you think. Go to my Facebook page. Email me. Write a review. If you like it and this is what you you prefer, let's mix it up. You don't think I can mix it up? I can mix it up. I mix it up nonstop. I got two kids. That's all you do. If your kid's not interested in one thing, you're like, oh, well, what's this over here? And then you take them over there, and then you do that for 15 minutes, and then you do something else. That's the way I roll. I'm down. Not because you're any better than me with your opinions, but because I want to put out the best product possible because I appreciate the fact that you guys take time every week to listen to what I'm making. So if you dig this interview, let me know. If you don't, man, then you just don't like me. So why don't you like me? This is Michael Kelly and I sitting down in uh, New York while I was on tour. I was very grateful to sit down with him. I hope you enjoy it. Go subscribe to the podcast at Starburns Audio if you haven't already. And uh, 
please enjoy. I love them. Um, I love watches. Do you? Do you have more than? Is that your only one? No, that I and the Hamilton. Lie. I have a lot. How many? Mm. I mean, if you don't want to talk about Eight, it, ten, I guess. Ten watches. The first, the first nice watch I ever bought was a Rolex. It was my. I mean, I want a Rolex one. The day. Air King, the simple, cheapest one. Mm-hmm. But a girl I liked um, was an actress, Julianne Nicholson, and she had a white one, and we did this theater camp. What one do you summer. mean, like white gold? A white? No, it was a white face. Oh. And she had one. I was like, that is the coolest watch I've ever seen. And she's like, oh, I bought it for myself as a gift. No, maybe she got hers from her father. I don't remember how she got hers, but I was like, I'm. I remembered it and I hadn't made money as an actor really. And I said, first job I get, if I make money, that's what I'm buying for myself. So I got level nine was the first series I did where I made money and, uh, I still couldn't bring myself to buy a new one. I went on eBay (laughs) and I found one and I was like, Oh man, I know I'm rolling the dice. It was 1600 bucks. And I took it to Tourneau and I said, dude, I feel like an idiot. I just bought this on eBay. We check it out for me. And he's like, you got a really good deal. Oh, yeah, it's a great watch, and so, you still have it. Yeah, dude, isn't that the greatest when you you decide that like you should give yourself a gift? Yeah, and yeah. someone has to tell you it because yeah. <laughs> I didn't no have a wife, wife. Yeah. I didn't have kids. I was like, this is me. Yeah, and if you don't have like a, I mean, what were you? Did you guys have like any money growing up when you were kids? No, no, yeah. grew up with you know the oldest of four and Thursdays, a lot of fighting in the house because Friday was payday. And, we're out of money. Yeah. You know? Well, uh, we weren't. I mean, I was youngest of four, but still, we didn't have money. There was there was no one around to be like like I'm sure you're gonna with your kids, and I hope that with my kids, I'll be like, hey, let's go do something nice for you. You know what I mean? They're like, what do you mean? Like, that's what you do every once in a while. Let's like, you know what? You did. You kicked ass on that paper or whatever. Let's go get a jacket. You know, and they're gonna be like, get a jacket. Like, yeah, that's what you do when you get you do. You know what I mean? Yeah, we yeah. had to wait till. Adults yeah. to be like, yeah, yeah, you buy yourself we something nice. We went to nice. Red Lobster, you know, like that was that was the special <laughs> birthday right. or whatever, you know. Like it was, you know, and God bless my parents, man. They did everything. They owe more on their house today because uh, when they bought it when I was in fifth grade, they bought it in a better neighborhood, a good school. Yeah, couldn't afford it. Bought that house. They owe more on it today. Than the purchase price in 1970s. I believe it. Nine or whatever it was. My mom was the same way. They bought this house in 1978 for, I think they paid 42 grand for it. I mean, my mom still owes on it. You're like, 42 right. grand? I think I have that in my carry on. I'm just kidding. But like, she, and, but she said to us, like, when my parents divorced, she's like, I could have moved to Medford or Malden or Everett or Revere, and we could have all lived in a two, uh, three bedroom. But I wanted right. you guys to have, I wanted you to be in a good school. I wanted you to have a yard to play in. And so we stayed there. And I was like, all right. Yeah. I'm like, you know, still would have been nice to maybe <laughs> not have 60K in college debt, you know. But, I mean, it's, we didn't know any better. It's true, man. We're some lucky dudes, man. Oh. I mean, I think, you know, you think about it. And my my dad, his dad, or my mother and her father, one Italian immigrant on one side, Irish immigrants yeah, on the other. Same here. Nothing. Literally. My grandfather was shoveling bridges, you know, yeah. in Philadelphia by hand. Before there was machines to shovel bridges, you shoveled Jesus. it by hand. And he was an Irish immigrant. That's your grandfather? You, yeah. And all you do is he wanted a better life for his son. My dad wanted a better life for his kids. I want a better life for my kids. It's like you just. I literally thought of this on the train ride from D.C. today. That exact thing is that like 
dads always because I keep looking at like my business, you know, with stand up and acting. And we talked about it when we were in Baltimore shooting yeah. last summer. I was like, yeah, I don't know. And you're like, you know, you were giving me advice about like sticking with it or like keep pushing. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, am I just trying to push so hard because I want him to have more? And I'm like, you know, I didn't have a dad. So I literally could <laughs> just be here and he's going to get more than I got. So I could probably like chill out. But yeah, that's all it is. You're like, like, I'm already winning. You just want to you just want to give him something. Yep, yep. You know what else I was thinking today? I was we were taking the train and like the the flags were half mast everywhere, and I looked at him like, remember when the flags were half mast? You had to ask somebody why they were half mast. Yeah. And now, yeah. if they're fully raised, you got to be like, oh wait, why yeah. are they? Oh, nothing. It's a good day. There's no tragedy today. <laughs> there wasn't something. It's breaking my heart, man. Yeah, it's out of control. It's a that's a really good way to put it, man. You know when you have what is it, 311 days. And we've had 307 mass shootings. Like, what the fuck is going on? I mean, I yeah. posted something on social media yesterday, and this guy just, uh, many people went hardcore after me because Trump posted something about his thoughts and prayers. And, and I was like, and you're not going to do a fucking thing about it, are you? Yeah. And I was like, you're going to sit there, and you and the rest of the GOP are going to kiss the asses of the NRA. And people, went after me so hard and I'm like you know what man I don't give a fuck fuck you I I don't want to take everyone's guns away I want to be very clear about that I think that you have the right to bear arms yeah don't have in my opinion I don't think we should have the right to bear assault weapons yeah and I think if there is anything in your history you we come and take your guns sorry yeah you're you're not fit to hold a gun and this guy the most recent one and you have to say what it is because by the time this airs, oh, yeah. I'm sure there will be another one. Uh, Thousand you know, Oaks. The Thousand Oaks shooter. He was a good guy with a gun until he wasn't a good, good guy with a gun. This was a war veteran, normal guy. Yeah. We don't know everything yet, but I mean, it's just, at what point do we say we have an epidemic in our country? 30 plus thousand people a year. Yeah. You know, I don't want to take everyone's guns. I grew up in Georgia. Yeah, I'm sure. People had guns all around me. I fired all sorts of rifles. Yeah. They were hunting guns, you know? Yeah. And if you really feel the need to protect your house with a nine millimeter, fine. You don't need the extra magazine cartridges and, you know, he had extended clips. I mean, how many people are coming to get you and keep it somewhere? Have you seen Jim Jeffries' bit on gun (sighs) control? Oh my God, you got to watch it because he's Australian and he said, you know, he's like, what the fuck? Well, he said in Australia, it was a mass shooting. You know, he does it in that awesome accent because it was a mass shooting. So the government said, okay, no more guns. They took everyone's guns and he goes, and we haven't had a mass shooting since. And then, you know, and he goes, and then he goes through everything. Like people who want to protect, he goes, yeah, all right. Well, you want to protect yourself and like, but you got to keep it safe. A guy's going to break it when you'd be like, well, hold, wait right there a second. And you got to go get it. I'll be right with you. Cause I'm the same. I'm the same as, as you. I don't like assault rifles at all. I yeah. just don't get it. I just don't get it. And it's not, I don't think it's like, oh, well they take this, then they'll take this, then they take that. I no. think you should be able to have guns too. Trust yeah. me. You don't think I have fantasies about buying a farm and then fencing it in and putting lookout posts and then stacking <laughs> the posts with guns because there's going to, an uprising is going to happen. Yeah, I do. I'm not doing it. Right. Right. And, you know, and, you know, you know the whole constitution and the mis construing of the second amendment is a whole nother subject but i mean yeah it's just it's it's out of control now we are officially out of control with guns and something has to be done if it's easier for you to get a gun than it is to get a learner's permit 
there's a problem. Yeah. Well, not, not to mention a passport. I mean, my God, how hard is it? Or, or global entry. Yeah. You should probably have to go through similar kind of shit to get a gun. Clear. In my opinion. You get clear. You're not get clear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. at the, it's tough, man. It's a lot of work. Yeah. You got to pay. They get everything, <laughs> all your information. 79 bucks a year. Everything uh, needs to be also linked. Like, yeah. I always have a big problem with when they just give random people pre-check. You know what right. I mean? They'll yeah. just, I'm like, why is that? I travel. 80,000 miles a year. Why can't I get a random pre you, It should be like, okay, travels all the time. It should be in a system. Guy travels all the time. It should be, yeah. oh, hey, went for a checkup because he's been having delusional thoughts. That should go into Red some. Flag. Yeah, just, okay, go check that guy's system out. All right, that guy can't carry yeah. guns anymore. You, I, know, I, I mean? you know, I get the X every time I come in back into the country. I get the X across my picture. There is a, and I stopped one day at the, the custom guy who, 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 brought me through I said look man this is getting old every time I come through here, I get an X on my picture what's the deal you that says something on your blank <laughs> black screen that I yeah. can't see because you have it tilted what is it and he's like all right look dude I'll, I'll tell you I'm, I'm a fan he's like there's a bad Michael Kelly and so any Michael Kelly that comes through is going to get X'd uh, unless you have global entry so I went online to do my application for global entry yeah. again if it was this hard to get a gun, you know what I mean? I wouldn't you, have a gun right now because yeah. I don't have global entry because yeah. it's a pain in the ass. So many people would not have guns. But I went on, I filled out the application. It's like, it takes hours. I was an hour into it. Clinton needed something. I got up, I went to go help him. I came back and it was like, you have to log back in. Mm -hmm. I put in my password and it was like, incorrect password. I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> Incorrect password. I was like, fuck. Well, if you and lost your said, mind as much said, as you lost. <laughs> oh. we, we tried to do an Instagram post and you lost your goddamn mind because the Wi-Fi wasn't working. I can only imagine what happened when this when this happened. So I tried to log in a third time. And they're like, if you do it again and it's incorrect, your emissions will be forever yeah. on hold or whatever it said. It was yeah. enough to make me shut the computer, log out. Not log out because I wasn't logged in, but click off the site. Yeah. And so now I have my business manager trying to sort it out for me and get me an appointment so I can just go in and be like, I'm a good guy. Unbelievable. <laughs> Give me global entry, man. I fly a lot. Yeah. You know, back and forth, out of the country. And it's just like, oh my God. So imagine if it was that hard to get a gun. Yeah. You'd be in a better place. Were you always super political or into politics and understanding politics and like being involved? Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, I studied my major was political science in college until, well, then, yeah. until, but until I, and I, and I stumbled into that cause I failed miserably at accounting and business management and all the Shut different up. business ones. I was just terrible at it, that shit. And I Where'd hated you go to it. school? Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina. That's right. Uh, I was a runner and I was on a running scholarship, tried business, failed miserably and, uh, fell into philosophy, really dug that. But I was like, what am I going to do with this degree? Mm hmm and was sort of guided by my advisor in political science. And then one semester, I went for like a full load of all poli sci, I wanted to get the hard shit over with. And my advisor was like, dude, you do this and you will fail. You have to put some electives in here. And I was like, all right, just pick one. And he was like, I, if you want to be an attorney one day, you know, you should, uh, you should Don't say take it. an acting class. Yeah. Son of a Swear bitch. Swear to God, shout heaven, in college. And he was like, you should, you should try it. And I was like, all right, cool. And a couple weeks in, we had to do a scene, and uh, I picked this really cute girl named Sunny, and we were scene partners, did the scene, and afterwards, she was like, can I see you after class? I was like, yeah, sure. She's like, how long have you been acting? And I was like, oh, I've never done this. And she's like, you have something there. She was like, you might wanna 
think about this. And yeah, I was I, like, I'll be honest. My advisor <laughs> thinks that maybe, maybe Paul sized the way. <laughs> That's amazing. So, yeah. so then I made it my minor. And then in my fifth year, I went for a double major. And it was just, it was going to be impossible second semester. So I had three classes shy of poli sci. Listen, don't say in my fifth year, like everyone goes five. Okay. It's not everyone I goes five. I changed majors late, dude. Yeah. Like third year. No. Yeah. Third year. Cause I still had to get my other, maybe it was halfway through my third year. So I had to, they finished that pro. I was the first person to graduate from Coastal Carolina with a performing arts degree. Really? First person. There was four of us, but I was alphabetically the first one oh, yeah. to get that degree. <laughs> That's uh, tight. They finished it for us that semester. Has it grown since? Yeah, considerably. I it's would... a big musical theater thing now. Oh, okay. Not that I ever did any of that, but yeah. that's, it's become, yeah. And I still to this day thank those professors because they didn't have anybody to teach. There were two incredibly talented professors oh, yeah. who were like, oh my God, you want to learn about this? Here, <laughs> totally. I have this wealth of knowledge. And say there's eight people in a class I was one who was paying attention and wanting to absorb it all. Yeah. Did every play and uh, yeah. And then I just. Were you uh, running track the whole time too? As soon as I got a scholarship for theater. Yeah. I quit running because they were like, I would try to do theater and I was running. How much money does Coastal Carolina have (laughs) when they have four (laughs) students? Like, yeah, give them some money because clearly. What it was was that, you know, I, I was doing very well in theater. Like I, all of a sudden I started getting A's and B's and just having great grades because I loved learning about this. There was something that I finally got Mm -hmm. and I started to really excel and do all the plays. And they were like, we got to get this kid a scholarship because he can't theater uh, running, you know, six, eight miles a day and working in the theater and doing rehearsal. Like it was killing me. And they were like, and I said, but I can't quit running because it's the only way it's paying for my end state and giving me a little extra money. And they were like, hang on. And so what they did was if I, when I quit running, I got to continue a scholarship through the theater department. That's unbelievable. That my, see, my school wasn't, I feel like that's, that's a school that has like progressive thought. They're thinking forward instead of thinking like within what's ha- like that never would have happened in my yeah. school. Oh, you probably in a much bigger school. I mean, my, there was no, a my, few thousand kids in my school. Yeah, so was mine. Yeah. But it was liberal arts and it was Catholic. And it's like, I remember like when I've been in L.A. for a couple of years. So I started as a political science major. You did. In my first semester, I got four C's and one B. And the B was in political science. And I went to my advisor and I'm like, hey, I think I'm dropping political science. And she's like, why? And I'm like, it's just way too much. It's like so much reading. And I was like, I can't do it. And then she's like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, I think communications or something like that. And she goes, well, here, read my book. It's called Political Science and Communications. And I was like, oh, my God, get me out. (laughs) And like I was like class vice president in my college. And anyway, and then I went to business and then I then I flunked out, came back and became English, an English major. Wow. And I graduated with a degree in English, barely. And I was playing baseball and then like senior year, I did like the musical that was like a speaking part. And then I was like, I took a directing class. That's all they had. But when I graduated, I moved to LA and I started stand up and writing and some acting. And I used to keep in touch with one of my professors and I was like, Hey man, how come there's no like radio station or like TV class or film class or anything like that? And he goes, we teach two things, Jay, Shakespeare and the Bible. (laughs) And everything that you're working on right now comes from Shakespeare and the Bible. And I was like, okay, man, 
Noted. <laughs> That's good though. But that it makes me pretty like, good. Pretty good comeback. For uh, him. I mean, he was the best. And then I like went back and performed there, and he came to a show. Either That's way, I'm awesome. like, I would love to go like open a wing there. That's like TV, film. Yeah. You know what I mean? That kind of. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't have any of that. It was theater. That was it. You know, mm. it's funny. You, you graduate with those degrees, and you know, when I came to New York, is like I had no experience in the business. You yeah. I mean, I had a theater degree. The only way you learn about the business is by jumping into the business trying to get your foot in the door in the business. It's I mean, having friends that are a step ahead of you, like Tom Scott. Yeah. Helped me all through that shit. You yeah. Know? And then he took a quick step behind you. No, <laughs> my ass, my ass. You know, what's <laughs> funny is like, I see no one was around to ever tell me like, Hey, do you want to do something? Then just go get involved in it and you'll find your way into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it doesn't, none of it has to do with college or degrees or anything like that. It has exactly to just be right. in the environment of, that people are doing it. Yep. You know, like, and it's, it's, so for me, when we talked earlier about like, you know, we're all just trying to create a better environment for our kids. Do you know how involved in my kid's school I am? I'm like super involved because yeah. I know that every day I walk in that school, I know every teacher, I know the principal, I put on a fundraiser, I volunteer. My kids see me that involved, they right. automatically feel at home. That's a place they want to be. That's a place they want to learn. That's great, man. And like that's my way of passing down because I'm like, you know, I don't have the money. But like, <laughs> but you like, you want to give them that like base where they know like, oh, hey, if, Look at look at my dad. My dad, like when we go to a restaurant, I'm talking to everybody. Yep, and like too. I've I've heard stories about my grandfather. He he was a baker, my grandfather. First he worked on the atom bomb at Los Alamos. And then no shit. he was at Harvard for physics, got taken to Los Alamos, worked under Oppenheimer, was there for like three months, and then was like sent home and he's like, I'm not doing this. Wow. And then his grandfather was a baker, so he opened a bakery. So I used, I heard this one story. There was a steakhouse in Massachusetts that was like huge. It had like five rooms, all like, like Sioux City, Kansas City. And you'd be waiting and they call you to like that room. Yeah. And the kitchen was huge. And my grandfather like was the kind of guy he would like walk up to the, the manager and be like, how you doing? I'm uh, Loring Larson. I have a bakery in Wakefield. I, I got to see the kitchen. Could I see the kitchen? And the guy was like, yeah, come on. Let's take you to the kitchen. And now I'm that guy because I want my kids to see like, hey, you want to learn about something? Ask yeah. someone. Yeah. Someone will yeah. show you. I was in a restaurant in Philly the night and this guy was, saw me walking around. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just love the space. He goes, you want a tour? I'm like, yeah, show me around. <laughs> I would love to. And it's, you know. <laughs> it's it, it's so true. It's, it's how, you know, I I think about it. I You know, I was doing the backstage magazine, all that kind of shit here. Yeah. But my aunt called me one day and she was in advertising here. And she said, she had asked me many times to go to the actor's studio, the real house. Not, oh, really? Not the new school, but the, the actual house on 44th Street, uh, up there between 8th and 9th. And she said, go there. There's a volunteer program. Just go there. And I was like, I will, I will. And I was so nervous and I was so apprehensive. Oh, really? And one day, I'll never forget it, she called me. I was in my apartment on 12th between A and B. And she said, hey, how's it going on? How's good? And I, I, she said, what are you doing? I was like... I'm nothing, just kind of hanging out. I don't, I don't work today. And she was like, she's like, you been to the studio yet? And I was like, ah, She stayed no. on you. No, but I'm, but I'm going. And she's like, okay. I'm staying on the phone until you put your shoes on, put your jacket on, and walk your ass up to the actor's studio, take oh, a train or whatever man. you're doing. Go there and fucking volunteer. And I'm like, all right. And I did it. And I was so fucking nervous. And I walked in 
you know, Arthur Penn, Ellen Burstyn, all these people there. That's who was there. That's who was moderating at the time when I was there. And I went in and I was like, hey, I heard you guys have a program where you can volunteer your free time and watch session by the members of the studio. Yeah, sure. You interested? I was like, yeah. And it, that was it. I got a job. I was working there four hours, one day a week, uh, scrubbing toilets, scrubbing the floors, cleaning up the backyard, taking care of the theater. Oh my God, your kids. Then are I mad. became the captain of it. Then I ended up running the whole program uh, over the years. And yeah. then Arthur Penn took me under his wing and I understudied like 10 guys in a play. And that eventually, after I'd auditioned two years in a row, not getting into the studio, I'd been there for five at the time. And then finished this run of the play with him. And I said, sir, just, this was a great honor understudying these men. And I had to stage manage as well. I said, I learned so much watching you direct. He's like, oh, I got a surprise for you. You remember the studio. Wow. And at the time I was 26. I was one of the youngest members ever to get in at the time. Now, now the kids that go to the new school automatically get in mm -hmm. and shit. But uh, yeah, man, you know, it's, it's like get in it. Get, get in, in that it. fucking world. Two things I'm taking away from that. One is just, yeah, get in and get involved because you have no idea what's going to lead to it. And two, there are certain like things that people say that make you understand who they're going to be and who they've been. One thing you said that I know your kids are going to be so annoyed at you when you're like in your 70s. <laughs> you said, I was scrubbing toilets. You know when you're 70, you're going to be like, 48 hours a week, I was face down in a toilet. That was the only one. You think I just sailed to the top of cable? <laughs> no, you're going to be grinding those kids. Totally, totally. You know, it's, it's, it's but it, that work ethic that my grandfather handed down, my grandmother on the other side handed to my mother... That work ethic, if you give your kids that work ethic. That's, of course. You can give them money. You can give them whatever. If you give them a work ethic, they're going to be successful in life. Yeah. They might not find until whatever chapter of their life, but mm -hmm. they will find success. If you have a good work ethic, you will be successful. That's it. Yeah. That's all that matters. Doesn't Dude, matter. My son, we, we got him a bunch of trains, you know, like all these trains, like Thomas the Train, you know, yeah, the yeah. train stuff. And then like he, he was, he always played with them. I mean, he's four now. This is when he was three. And he wanted some Legos. He's like, so we got, we, he had gotten a couple Legos things and now he wanted to get some Legos. I'm like, listen, he like, cause like in on the back of the Lego directions, Legos aren't idiots. They put other packages yep. that you can buy. <laughs> so he sees this package. He goes, I want to get that package. He goes, I want to get that fire station. I'm like, you want to get that fire station? And he's like, yeah. And it's like a hundred bucks. And I go, tell you what, you sell all of your trains, all your tracks, all your trains. We sell them. And you can use that money and buy your Legos. Do you want to do that? And he said, yeah. I go, okay. We lined them all out. He helped me. We lined them all out on my dining room table. I took photos, posted them on Craigslist. I'm like, all right, we're going to post them. And then someone, and then four days later, this guy came, showed up. And he's like, I love that you're selling your kids trains. Because I put in the, I said in the thing. <laughs> he wants to buy Legos. He came home from school that day. I go, hey, look at your trains. And he goes, where are they? I go, sold. And he goes, can we get my Legos? <laughs> That's now, awesome, dude. We got 52 bucks for the trains. I picked up the other 48. <laughs> hey, fair is fair. But still, and now like a great we, lesson. Yeah, we go to other kids' houses and they have trains. He's like, I miss my trains. And I'm like, you want to sell your Legos and buy some trains? And I look at my wife. I'm like, we'll be literally not teaching anything about finance if we do this because we're losing money every time. But he's like, he says, yeah. And I'm like, whatever. I just wait because he just, you know, loves his Legos. He'll be out of that. But um, it's a really great idea. Yeah, Clint's got all these. He has an insane Cars collection, oh, Cars yeah. movies, the, the all those little mm -hmm. diecast cars that he never plays with anymore. Yeah, you're gonna grow out of everything. 
put all 200 of those fuckers on the dining room table. Just be like, <laughs> all right. You can buy it out, dude. You could sell them, especially like the, the ones that are in good the condition. Rare, and the rare ones. They're yeah. super rare ones. Did yeah. you have that? I knew kids growing up that were like, my friend Dave DeGeorge. We all like, I don't know what your bike was growing up, but everyone had like red lines and GT performers. I, I got a, Schwinn was the best I ever got late. Late, Same here. Like Schwinn Predator. Parts that I put together. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you handy but like that? mags from another guy. <laughs> bought the frame from guy. Yeah. Oh, was, man. You know, yeah. yeah. I got a Schwinn Predator. Paid for it myself. The $109. And I remember I saved for a while. My brother had like a dope Schwinn Predator with like the roto handlebars, laid back seat posts. <laughs> it had, had mags. He had everything. Mine was basic. Didn't have freewheel. <laughs> But my buddy David George had a GT performer, and he treated this thing like like gold. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it had plastic on it. And when we were in <laughs> in college, he sold it for like hundred and seventy five bucks. And I was uh, like, "You're unbelievable, dude! Like, how did you have that foresight in eighth grade? Yeah, to but be how like, did you sell it? On the other hand, like, I know uh, where are you selling it back right? then? Like, <laughs> he must have put an ad out somewhere. That's what people did. No, but I mean, why would you even get rid of that? Like. Something you loved for <laughs> that long. I think know? he needed the cash, yeah. man. I don't even think he loved it. I think he just had it like stashed somewhere in the house. Wow. I don't know. I mean, I never, <laughs> I never had that. I don't even know what happened to my Predator. I think it got stolen. Yeah, I know. I, I think back, I think my parents probably still have like eight bikes in their garage, you know? Yeah. Well, especially when you're the oldest. Yeah. Everyone was just ripping stuff off of you. Oh yeah, totally. I used to steal from my brother. Did your brother and sister steal from you? My brother didn't because he was eight and a half years younger than me. So he got everything. I just gave him. Yeah. You know, he got whatever. He's my best friend. Like always, even when we were kids, he's been my best friend. Yeah. Because uh, there was that much of an age difference. Yeah. I think of my sister's shit. <laughs> well, I mean, what, what are you? <laughs> we're super friends now. But back then it was like, oh. I remember when I got to high school, I would always borrow my brother's clothes in middle school. It was fine. But then I got to high school and like he comes up to me one day and like threw me up against the locker. He's like, that my shirt, dude? And I was like, what are you doing, man? You beat me up in the school? And your friends are like, do you smell like Otto's jacket? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Um, so when initially I talked to you about this podcast, I was like, I'm like, I just want to sit down and talk with you, but I wanted to find something in common with other things. And I was like, what about, we're at the premiere of all square. And I go, what about binoculars? You got anything with binoculars? Like, yeah, I just bought some for my kids. What? And I was like, I could have just said anything right there. I think you would have had something. My son's really into birds. That's crazy. It is. He's, How did he get into birds? School. They, they, they do, they, they're, the school's right by Tompkins Square Park. And very early on, they, they take the kids on these field trips and they go look at all the birds. There's a hawk. There's this really, as a matter of fact, crazy as hell, where it, the kids' soccer practice a week ago Thursday. And we get there and there's all this commotion on the field. And I look on the field and there's like a thousand white feathers on the, on the ground, on the turf underneath the mm -hmm. backstop because it's also a baseball field sometimes. Yeah. And I was like, and I looked up and there's a giant hawk on the backstop, like a big, like a hawk. Yeah. And I look down on the ground, thousand feathers. I get come, come around the fence. I go inside and there is literally a rib cage and two wings of a pigeon underneath this hawk. Man. He just housed this thing in front of all these kids. Yeah. And Clinton walks up to it and he's like, yep, that's a pigeon. That was a pigeon, a white feathered pigeon. That's what that was. <laughs> he's looking at a rib cage and two wings. And he's like, that's yeah. a white feather pigeon. He's like, and that is definitely a hawk. Wow. It was awesome. 
You and know, I caught him. I have some pictures of him flying away. Oh, great. that's badass. Yeah, but he's just really into birds. He loves birds. So we got him and his sister nice binoculars to look. From here. And they're so funny. They sit out there and they're like, it's so funny to open the window in the nicer days. You open that window and listen to the two of them talking. Okay, now fine. Now fine. Like I Most spy time, almost. It's a pigeon. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but there's, there is there is a good, like I said, hawks. You know, that hawk, Tompkins Square Park to the Lower East Side. Yeah. You know, like two Giant weeks ago, this su- super, super, super rare bird was just in um, Central Park. No. Like a crazy rare bird. Like an eagle. Or... No, like a bird I would show you and you would be like, that's the most beautiful bird. Ever. It's like from Japan. Really? Showed up in... Only reason I say... The question is, is someone just... Did it fly out of someone's house? I have... I mean, how do we know? But... I sent it to my friend Adam Caton Holland, who's a stand-up and a uh, bird watcher. <laughs> and a bird uh, watcher. This duck, those two go that hand duck in hand. Sh- showed up in Central Park. Wow. In- insane, right? Turn off airplane mode. Okay. So that bird just showed air, up. Airplane mode. I screwed up. I wanted to see it. That is insane looking. Yeah. And so like he's a hardcore bird watcher. So he subscribes to like all these different blogs and Twitter feeds and stuff like that. So if a bird like this shows up anywhere near him, he will just, he'll go and find it. Like hunt it. Like, oh, so it's there. All right. And like spend five hours trying to find a bird. Wow. But I mean, we never did that. No. I didn't bird watch as a kid. Send me that because Clinton will be like, what is that? Yeah, and that's, there's your adventure. Yeah. That's what I... Let's go find him. That's what the I Japanese love about Japanese duck in Central Park. <laughs> you, and you get there and there's just like, you see all these colorful feathers everywhere. Like, what's this? And you see a hawk just eating it. And you're like, oh, okay. So that's this that is how the world was works. the Japanese son. hawk. Well, the that Japanese was him. duck. And that is definitely a hawk. I mean... <laughs> Did you do a lot of nature stuff when you were a kid growing up uh, in Atlanta, right? Yeah. I mean, yes and no. We lived behind us was woods. Yeah. Uh, so we would ride our bikes, but we made like BMX trails back yeah. there. And, and when we got into high school, we did some camping, and but they were more like ragers. You know, we yeah. would go camp and... And drink and... And drink yeah. in the Carolinas. So and, you and your family didn't do any of that stuff? No, 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 no. We would get in the car and drive from Georgia to the freaking Jersey Shore, Ocean City, New Jersey. We would drive. <laughs> we drove from Texas to there because we, we didn't have enough money to fly. So we drove from Texas to Ocean City, New Jersey because my dad and mom's family is all the Philly area. And Got they would, it. They would smartly vacation close to there, <laughs> but yeah. the majority of them were up there in all fairness. So they would get a house in Ocean City, New Jersey, my dad's dad, every year for two weeks in the summer, and we would all go. And uh, Where in Texas were incredible. you? I was outskirts of Houston, suburbs of Houston. Yeah. The way I grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta, it would take 40 minutes to drive into the city. We never went in the city. Very to, rarely. To Atlanta? When I was in Atlanta, yeah, because yeah. once I got old enough, you know, me and all my buddies were like, Atlanta was 40 minutes and Athens was 50 minutes. Yeah. So we would go those two places to have fun. Yeah. I mean, but like when you're, when you're parents with four kids and you were both yeah. your parents working. Yeah, no, they're not. Yeah. They're not camping. Not they're, my mom was anywhere. a Tupperware lady and my dad worked at Gulf Oil. And uh, yeah. There what do you mean a Tupperware lot. lady? Like she'd she sell was, it like door to door? She, she started as that. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom's pretty amazing actually. She. Did she go to college? Much later. 
she, when she was growing up, she was the oldest of four. Mm -hmm. She was the oldest of five. Her brother died 12, 13 years old. And so there was four girls left. My mom was the oldest. The dad left. My grandfather left him. And it was my grandmother. And my mom became the first one, obviously, to go to time to go to college. She stayed to help raise the other three girls. Jeez. Two of them became surgeons, ER surgeons. Holy cow. One became an ad executive here in New York. And my mother married my father, raised the four of us. I was in college and everyone was, all the other kids were doing well and on their way. And she was like, I'm going to school. I'm going to go to school and get my degree I never got. And she went, got her undergrad and grad before I got out of my five years. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, or maybe like right around the same time. And she, um, she went to work, uh, she got a governor's internship to go work for Atlanta Regional Division of Aging, and she worked for seniors for just retired a couple of years ago for her whole second part of her life. Damn. And then she started her own charity, the Thanks Mom and Dad Fund, and she still works for seniors. Last night was her annual gala that I usually emcee, but Jack Ryan kept me from that this year. But uh, she's an amazing woman, just yeah. an amazing woman. But growing up, she was not just our mom. I mean, you had to have another job to help, and she was a Tupperware lady then became a Tupperware manager because if you were a manager, you got a station wagon and sure we had a family car. So she did that to help out with that part of life. And then eventually became a minivan. And then, and then she went to college. What a badass! Yeah. Huh? She's an amazing, amazing well, so, woman. So there's a level of politics in, in what she was doing, working for the governor now. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what inspired me to do all the work that I do for seniors. You know, I've lobbied on the Hill. I've gone and oh, sat, really? yeah, I've sat down with, it's a bipartisan issue, so I've sat down with Republicans and Democrats for the Older Americans Act, yeah, and help further that cause, uh, reauthorize it, and get it more funding through appropriations and stuff. Like I, I do love it. I do. Why did your mom pick that? She just originally. I mean, I know she started the charity because she was just like, there is a need. Seniors need more help than the government's giving them, and for she sure. actually like fifteen years ago more than 15 years ago, she saw this trend coming that, you know, when, when our parents, you know, oh, yeah. thank God I'm okay. My sister's okay. My brother's okay. My other sister's okay. Everyone's doing well. We can take care of our parents. Yeah. But what happens when the kids can't take care of their parents? I know. Or they have to try to take care of the parents. Then they don't have their job. Then they don't have any money left over for their, it's like this whole thing is we are living so much longer. It's really become a big problem. And, and you know, I think if not 2020, 2024 on the ballot, one of the biggest things is going to be seniors and how we deal with this. Because if they can't get help through like my mom's charity or you can't get enough from the government, if the kids can't take care of them, government pays $83,000 a year to keep a senior, one senior yeah. in a home for a year. Yeah, That's what the government pays. If so you're going to get that. It will cripple this economy. Not only that, it cripples families because, you <laughs> totally. know, everyone in my family lived super old. My great aunt was 102. My other great aunt was 100. My nana wow. was 88. My great uncle was 99. And my aunt Gert was 98. So wow. they were all super old. But what happened was Auntie Lil came and lived with my mom. Auntie Rue came and lived with my mm -hmm. mom. And then eventually she couldn't do it. So they had to move into a, a home or mm -hmm. facility. And when you're there, all of a sudden they go right to your savings. So that just gets zapped. So yeah. any money that was going to get left to the family yeah. to help the family move on, that's all gone. We actually just voted. Not only, not, only, not only do you not get the money that your parents were going to leave you one day, 
you end up spending more money. Yeah. And not that they don't deserve it. These are the people whose shoulders we stand on. Yeah. I get it. I'm just saying people in America are struggling. They're struggling to make ends meet. How do you take on a whole nother fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year in, in home care? Like oh yeah. It's just it will cripple this well, country. We, we just voted on in California. Um there was a you know, whenever that was like four days ago we voted and it was to give a tax break to seniors if they're going to sell their house. You know what I mean? So like if you're a senior and you're going to sell your house right now, they don't get taxed. So there's a different tax that goes for them because if they have to move into a smaller home or a more mm-hmm. affordable home, mm-hmm. they're trying to take that away. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that they don't have it or like that's what the that's what the vote is. Should we continue to let them to have this break or should we stop oh that break? God. And you're like. I look, you know, Kate and I were talking about like, well, yeah, you 100% they're going to need that break. They're yeah. all going to need it. Why yeah. would, you know, it's, it still doesn't make any sense to because me. Because the, the asshole opponents to it are like, well, that woman who sells her home in Beverly Hills sure as hell doesn't need. Yeah. And what about the rest of the fucking state? You yeah. asshole. Like they think everyone outsiders think everyone who lives in California is rich and yeah. a leftist elitist. You know, that's, that's their vision of California when it's the biggest melting pot second only to here, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, people of all different walks of life and certainly of all different financial backgrounds. Oh, I mean, need it. 100%. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, great. It's a whole other world of like yeah. what's going on with, you know, I mean, like we always think, I'm like, oh my God, who knows what's going to happen? Who's taking care of my mom? I think it's going to, you know, it's not, I'm in Los Angeles. Yeah, like, and then, God forbid it'd be me. It's <laughs> I mean, she was just out visiting me and I, I'm just like, well, I, I couldn't, I can't I'd, do this. I'd put her down is what would happen. <laughs> now, if my mom calls and I see her name coming up on my phone, I literally have to take inventory of everything around me to decide if I can even handle a call. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just like, do you want to hear about someone just dying? Do you really want to like have to repeat things seven times? It's just too much. She's not even that old, dude. It's just, I don't know what it is with old people. They love to tell you who died yeah. and like and how tragic it is. And then you're just so like... She'll tell me. She's like, did, you, did I tell you what happened to Margaleppo? And I'm like, no. And she's like, well, she committed suicide. And I'm like, she did? She's like, no, but I think that she wanted to go. And then you're like, wait a minute, what? And then you're trying to process. And she's like, how are the kids? And you're like, I'm still on the death you just threw at me. And you want me to just. Is it a suicide or not? Yeah. <laughs> you did something to me, mom. I felt it. I just changed. <laughs> That's what Karen's always like. Did you hear about my wife? Like, did yeah. you, I'm like, if it's this sad, don't tell me. I'm a happy person. Why tell me a sad story about some kid? Don't want to hear it. Yeah. I don't want to hear it. I will. At least don't lead with it. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a good thing she does because I shut it down a lot. I'm just like, don't. No. If it's depressing, I can't handle it right now. I'm working. I'm having to be focused. And that kid who died too early is going to fuck with me. And I will not be able to. I'll carry it. She can hear something and yes, it affects her. And, but I carry shit too long, man. I'm like, oh. I do too. I'm like, there's some people that just do that. And some people that don't, you know, you carry empathy. Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. And then they just move on. I'm like, oh. and they just love what? being the ones to break it to you. <laughs> I like made a new rule with my wife. I'm like, listen, there's certain people you just can't text me about that die. All right. Cause my wife, I remember I was in Boston 4th of July or just near, I can't, we can check the dates cause it's, it's a historical person. And I'm walking with my friend's wife and their new baby. I'm in Boston. She texts me, Paul Newman died. I stopped. Yeah. And I go, oh my God. And my friend's wife goes, what's the matter? And I go, Paul Newman died. And she's like, oh. And I was like, 
Fuck oh. the two of you. And I texted my wife right away. I'm like, don't ever text me when one of my heroes dies, okay? And she's like, well, who else can I text you? And I'm like, well, first of all, give me a couple minutes to regroup here. Uh, Robert Redford, I don't want to text. Seinfeld, I don't want to text. Kevin Costner. And she's like, Costner, I go, watch your mouth. <laughs> You're like, Travolta, you can text me a Travolta death. Travolta's text fine. <laughs> Did you hear? Oh, my God, that's terrible. You you can forward me a tweet that he died. <laughs> I'm fine with it. But people that like. And I don't wish death upon John Travolta. It's no. very clear. But it's like, you'd be like, oh, my God, it's crazy. That's yeah. awful. But people, Paul you Newman. know. Yeah, it's not Paul Newman. <laughs> you know what I mean? Speaking of Paul Newman, I know this have anything to do with him, but you Braves are your ride or die with the Braves, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, full on. I know the minor league team. Like I, I'm obsessed. Oh, with the minor league team too. Uh, everything, yeah. The I, top thirty prospects. Like I'm always following these kids. Like Acuna came up this year. I, mean, I knew about dude. Acuna for a couple of years now. Yeah. Like been reading about him for a couple of years. You know, uh, I'm obsessed. You know, I got obsessed. hardcore into the Braves in like '91. But then you're Dodgers, right? No, Red Sox. Oh, Red Sox. I'm a Red Sox fan for life, but I just loved you, that team. So, like, yeah. I love yeah. sports so much that I always have my teams. I'm, yeah. I'm Boston 100%, but I follow every storyline throughout the year. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, I followed Acuna this year. I'm like, yeah. this guy's sick. And you had another dude that was, like, crushing Ozzie it. Albies. Yeah. And then, yeah. I mean, Freddie Freeman's awesome. awesome. But I just can't... I, I, um, in 91, when it was like Ron Gant, Sid Bream, David Justice, yeah. and Bobby Cox was small ball and it was hitting runs, it was stealing home, Chipper it was like, oh, Chipper so Jones. So much fun. It was insane. So much fun. I love that team. And then, yeah. and then it was Steve Avery, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, and Maddox was the fourth. Yep, yep. I mean, right. he was the Avery one. Was. Avery, Avery was, Avery. right? Because they always say the three. It was Maddox, Smoltz, and Glavin. Yeah, and everyone forgets. I'm like, what about Avery? Hey, like, how about Avery? do with one arm? <laughs> Avery was incredible, man. He was incredible. He was incredible. Yeah, those were. I think we're coming back to those glory days. I, you know, I don't know that we'll have a one, two, three punch like that. But these young kids, these young arms, Ian Anderson and Kyle Wright, and all these young kids we got coming up are fucking ridiculous. Well, they, it's just they ins- could be. Yeah. Uh, just you know, I feel like young pitchers today they don't stay as healthy as long as a hundred percent throwing their arms out, right? But, yeah. Um, yeah. Some of them are precision pitchers though. They're not just flamethrowers like the Mets. Yeah. You know, everyone compared. Uh, Matt Harvey, Har- Har- what, what was it? Syndergaard, Harvey, um, and Noah. So that's Syndergaard. I can't remember. Degrom, Degrom. Yeah. They're like they're, that's as good as the big three. And Smoltz even said in one of the interviews, he was like, "They're they are." And I said, "Yeah, but they're not going to last." Like, yeah, Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz. They won't have the longevity of greatness. Yeah. And what do you know? They each of their arms have fallen off they're at least cooked. for a couple months a season. Like it's. And no one has the... Mecha- I just think it's a mechanical thing. Mm-hmm. I watch them and I'm like, where are the legs, man? Where is anyone using their legs anymore? Yeah. Tom Glavin was always, first of all, Massachusetts kid, Bill Ricca. Is that right? Yeah, mass yeah. kid, was hockey. A big hockey. He got yeah. drafted, I think. He was... Uh, he was because he could have he could have gone professional either. Yeah. And chose baseball. Dud. God. Smoltz, closer, starter, yeah. and Maddox yeah. just like... That's a precision pitcher. There, I, we've not seen anyone like him since, I don't no. think. Like... I just saw a great, great, going back to your period of, of enjoyment of the Braves, a, a great little video they posted. It was some milestone that Maddox had hit on this year, yeah. on this day, however many years ago. And it was this great video of him shaking off Javi Lopez, like four straight things. And he's like, no, 
No, no. And he throws his pitch, strikes a guy out, walks up to Javi, and he's like, and like Don't ever, balls him out for yeah. like, are you kidding me, dude? Don't shake me off. I know what to throw. That's insane. <laughs> That's badass, man. I was like, when we were kids, you know, there was no internet. There was no ESPN. We would just get the Globe, Boston Globe. Yeah. And I was a box score freak. Every morning before school, I was checking box scores. I wanted to see. I, and my favorites were like, yeah, home run, RBI, great. But I always loved stolen bases, steals yeah. and blocks in basketball. You know, those are interceptions in football. Like, I love those yeah. weird things. And so still to this day, I'm a box score guy. Like, I still go online. I check box scores. That's and great. then when I get really into it, I start going down baseballreference.com holes. And, <laughs> and I probably check Maddox, like, once every two months because it's just, like, just to look at the numbers. They're yeah. so gorgeous. His numbers, like, sub insane, two ERAs man. were just crazy. And just, like, Mr. Consistent. Forever yeah. he did that. Yeah, dude. And what a uh, poindexter. I mean, such a dork. <laughs> such a dork. That video those guys did. Remember that? Chicks take the long ball. Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah. Man. Did you play baseball as a kid? No. No. Oh. Just track? Yeah, and no. Soccer? I wasn't even really running. I mean, I I played soccer, tennis. I was a swimmer. Uh, and then in high school, uh, I... I was swimming and I was diving, got kicked off the diving team. For what? And well, and the swimming. Because I did, I did, that was it. I got stopped from three straight, uh, suspended for three straight games because I did a, this woman with the gun, I was like a leaner. I roll started in mm -hmm. swimming. So like I would roll into it and go as the, as the gun mm -hmm. was, and she knew what I did. And so she just, she was like, so we're taking Mark, set. And she held it and I fall start, swam back up. I was like, come on. And I'm in the lane right next to her. <laughs> and she did it again. So we're taking Mark, set. And she held up her gun and, and I couldn't stop myself. And so I just jumped up, grabbed my knee, fucking can't open her right. <laughs> Shut your <laughs> mouth. Can't open her right into the starter. And soaked her, and she was just like, and coach came over, and that that was it. They can just throw. And you then out I was for just that? like, you know what? I'm not. I'm not doing this anymore. This isn't for me. When I got, they're like, you're just suspended for three games. I'm like, I'm done. I don't. I don't want to do this. And uh, then I was. <laughs> then I was running. And Man, you had a real passion for swimming, huh? <laughs> I didn't really care. I didn't love it. I wasn't great. Yeah. I was a better runner, and then then. Finally, I got a scholarship to like a few small schools. Like it wasn't yeah. even a great runner. I was good. Yeah. You know, but not. See, this is where the hard work ethic that was instilled in me <laughs> was the, the worst part of it. Because I was, I was decent at best at baseball. But I was like, I'm going to play in college. And I'm going to play all the whole time. When I should have. When I flunked out of school, should have just been like, yeah, this isn't for me. Instead, I'm like, had to get back into the same school, get back on the team to do what, bat 236 and have like six career home runs. That right. was. That's still pretty cool. You had a home run. That's, I mean, come on. That's. Uh... My coolest home run, dude. Home game, parking lot in left field, and like kids would like just tailgate out there, hit a homer. And two dudes were laying on this girl Marianne's car, like on the windshield, just drinking. And it was coming right at him. And they both moved. And I shattered her windshield. <laughs> That's, come on. That's pretty tight. That's pretty cool. But still, I wish someone had just been like, I wish someone was around and like, what are you doing? You're never going to, organize sports is the best. You know, like Without we know as adults, it just doesn't Great exist anymore. Great discipline in life. Yeah. 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 
So that was cool. But at the same time, to just be like, yeah, just like, uh, how about you get into like the acting or the writing or whatever it is that you're passionate about instead of grinding away. Like we would weekends were doubleheader Saturday, doubleheader Sunday. Jesus. It was stupid. Yeah. No, I did. Uh, never like that. I wasn't good. Yeah. At baseball. I did tried both. Just wasn't good at either of them. Baseball and football. And I was just like, no. Eh. And then when did you just move to New York after you graduated college? Mm-hmm. And you said, I did, well, after I graduated, my theater professor helped me get a job at a, um, a children's touring theater. And I you? Did, did it for a semester. You have the meanest face in the world. <laughs> And the biggest anger. I was like, what were you doing? <laughs> I I played the prince. There was a prince. There was a the evil uh, prince. Some, be a <laughs> the evil prince. And then you would get four of you in a van uh, with your costumes, or like a custom '80s van, like a cheesy mm-hmm. custom van with stinky captain's chairs. And you had your costumes, the sets, and all four of you in one van, and you would drive to schools. Oh within God. a few hours regionally, you know, like the, the Carolinas yeah. and tip of Florida, Georgia. Uh, and it was fun, but it was terrible. Like you, you know, kids are just laughing at you and paying zero attention. And, you know, <sighs> I wanted to be an actor, but then they, the second semester, they were like, we want you to, to be the, the tour manager. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm done. And I went home, buddy of mine was having a tough time in Atlanta Build, he was building houses and he's like, I just, I could use a friend, man. I really, I'm lost and I need help. And went home, worked with him for a couple months. And my mom said, oh, I have this friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who knows this producer in Hollywood and he's willing to get on the phone with you and talk to you about acting. And I was like, give you some advice. I was like, great. And I call this guy and I'm like, oh, hi, sir. And I've got my pad and my paper. You yeah. know? And I'm like, hey man, I, I, I'm so excited to talk to you. And, um, I said, I, I said, I want to be an actor. And I, I said, I've done this, this, this in college. And I'm at this touring theater. And, uh, yeah, just anything you could, any advice you could give me. And he's like, all right, yeah, where do you live, kid? And I was like, oh, I'm in Atlanta right now. And he was like, all right, uh, move to New York or L.A. And I was like, okay. I'm, I'm writing, <laughs> move to New York or L.A. on my pad. And, and there's like a long pause. And he's like, that's it, kid. He's like, you want to be an actor, you got to move to New York or L.A. And I was like, all right. I called my buddy Mark Haleff, who was living in Hoboken. He was here trying to be a chef. And I said, dude, I, I, I think I got to go for it. He's like, dude, move up. So I moved in. He was from my high school. Moved in with him, his ex-girlfriend, mm-hmm. and her sister. All of them I knew from high school, though. So it was cool. But it was really weird that we're living in this tiny little two-bedroom in Hoboken, New Jersey, with his ex-girlfriend yeah. and her sister. And we would just get hammered all the time and smoking weed and just being idiots did you audition then or were you just uh this was that was like my first two weeks Mm -hmm. and he's like dude we got to get an apartment in the city i'm like yeah we do and so we did and we and our other buddy chickamone he came up Mm -hmm. and helped me move up we drove up and he helped me move up and he stayed that night before he drove back and he was like dude i'm moving here Let's wow. <laughs> let's do it. Can we fit two beds in that room? And I was like, "Fuck yeah, dude!" So he came, and the three of us. Yeah, that was that was the beginning God. of it. And so I just and grinded for seven years before yeah. I made a living. Like just grinding. I never. I was relentless with my pursuit. Yeah, and well, it was so naive. I just thought, oh, "I have my degree. That's what I'm gonna do." 
Yeah. What you were grinding. I mean, yeah. that's, I don't think that's nice. I think that's just, you were determined. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like if you say you're you, I had be to there. be naive to think to never, I was not discouraged. Yeah. You know, I talked to my mom, my dad, my siblings. They're like, what, what's going on? I'm like, Oh, I got this play and this, you know, and you were always off, upbeat off, about off, it. Off, probably. Yeah. Like <laughs> it was a play. It was a yeah. student film. It was a, whatever it was that I got until finally someone was like, we'll give you $75 a day to do this job. And I was like, all right, yeah, man. now I'm doing it. Yeah. And then I got an indie film and then I got a commercial agent and then years later got a legit agent and then but that took forever. When you said, we said earlier about like, you know, dads or people that actress saying, yeah, I bought myself a watch. That's something you do. It, at least for me and through stand up and then into some acting work, it was like you just get you get so excited to get the seventy five dollars that then you get complacent with like if you're not constantly pushing yourself to get to another level, yeah. you can just settle in at a level until you like I never went on a vacation until I met my wife and she was like, We should go on a vacation. I was like, What? <laughs> and what spend are, money? What are we fifty? <laughs> Who goes on vacations? What are we doing? And she's like, I need a vacation because she had like a real job. And I was like, Oh, so I need to have more money. Like we should be making more money, and then you see, yeah. then you see friends like getting a gig, and like in stand up, you know, I'm always like, how much you get for that? Because I, I always want to know, and then yeah. people tell you like, oh yeah, why am I doing? I need to be making that, or how do I not I, get that? How do I get that? Yeah, you know, yeah. always, yeah, always, yeah. But I mean, you got to have ignorance or nativity yeah or you're never gonna get to the next level because if you knew <laughs> if you knew what you'd actually have to do over that seven years there's no way you would have done right. it or if i didn't think it was gonna happen yeah tomorrow 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 yeah i and had, not get discouraged when it doesn't happen tomorrow yeah like, that's the whole thing right you just you have to keep thinking it's gonna happen tomorrow but not be discouraged when it doesn't that's that's sort of what I it's mean, like trying to be an actor, right? Sure, but it no. took me up until maybe like three months ago to actually <laughs> like realize that and just be like happy with what I was doing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. instead of like I remember when I was going to move. But if you to, were happy, then you wouldn't have the success you have today. If you were happy and complacent with what you had achieved, yeah, you were doing it. But you keep taking a step forward. Yeah, and and, and it's like I tell young actors when I, I I have a lot of young actors that I mentor, and I'm like. As long as you see those baby steps, as long as you see you going in an upward trajectory, yes, there's going to be ebbs and flows and you're going to fall and you're going to have to get back up. But as long as those ups and downs continue on an upward incline, yeah. then never give up. Yeah. It's, you know, I have some friends that are still trying to do it today that have never had anything happen. Maybe one blip mm -hmm. early and then nothing happened. Like at a certain point, you have to say to yourself, all right, well, maybe this isn't for me. Yeah. You know, I don't know. But they have to be able to say it because everyone right. else can you see it. You can't tell them. No. And you, you can't, you know, it's not ever something I would say to someone, which is why I always, when I start talking to young kids, I'm like, this is the, this is the plan. And it might take you 10 years, but make sure something's happening in that 10 years. Yeah. Don't wait tables every day saying you're an actor and not be actively pursuing it. Yeah. Not be willing to give up that job as a waiter to go do a job for a little bit, for a lot less money than you're making as a waiter. Yeah, of course. Get another waiting table job. Yeah, I remember I got a job waiting tables at the Brentwood, which is this awesome restaurant, and I needed money because I quit two jobs because I thought I was gonna take off with stand-up, so uh -huh. then I finally had to get this one. I got it, 
the next day this kid called me he's like hey do you want to run a show with me friday and saturday nights at the comedy <laughs> store and I, for no money yeah none but i was going to be at the store two nights a week and i called around the restaurant people, and i was like around yeah. all I'm that like, i gotta i can't take the job and the guy's like what are you talking like people wanted that job and i'm like ah, i get this thing and he's like all right and then I, I had like, to borrow right, a lot of money. Dummy. <laughs> yeah. That you was, go get them. <laughs> that was it for sure. But then you put yourself in that world. Yeah. And you watch other people, you know, and you see other people honing their craft and you're like, oh, I get that. Or I, you learn something. Yeah. You're around it. You learn, man, I think. But you've been working for years now. But House of Cards, that was the thing, don't you yeah. think? Oh yeah, I mean I that mean, was the thing. Yeah, before that I was always, oh, hey dude, I saw you in that yeah, thing, yeah. or you know maybe Dawn of the Dead, or you know Invincible for a few years after it came out, or yeah. you know the little things along the way that are big things. You know those were monstrous things to me at the time. But House of Cards changed yeah. everything because. Do you think it was just a perfect role or the perfect fit or like the fact that you like politics was something that meant something to you or just. I think it was a, I think it was just, you know, like you talk about worlds colliding, everything firing at the exact right time. I mean, there's no doubt that that, the way that that character is written is just those writers are brilliant. Yeah. And that is not to take away from the work that I did to create that character to, you know, he's very different from me and, and, gave him that walk, that talk that, you know, Bo Willman said season one, you know, I just don't want you to emote. Mm -hmm. And I want everyone at the end of season one to go, what the fuck is up with that guy? (laughs) So from that though, I was able to create a character. I was like, that makes sense. Oh, so then he would talk probably pretty quietly. Yeah. You want him to have a level of mystery to him. You want him to, you know, and it's, it's just funny how you little things that he gave me, and then they just started really writing for that character and kept writing for that character. And I'm forever grateful. It's the greatest gift I could ever have been given as an actor. I always say that about Doug Stamper. Like, oh, here you go. Here's the, you know, here's the greatest gift as Dude, an there, actor. There's not a lot of characters on TV when people say the character, they just say one name. People just right. say stamp. That's what they say. You know what I mean? And everyone yeah. goes, that fucking dude. Rule. Like, they love that guy. Yeah, so for him crazy. to give you that note to be that I want people... Because I think the thing that I always appreciate when I see directors or people who give notes like producers or writers mm-hmm. is when they give you, they don't know, they never hit you on the head with what they right. want. They give you something for you to create within because they want right. you to be an actor. So for him to say, I want, you want people to say, what's up with that guy? That's yeah. like the coolest right? note you can get. Yeah. And don't emote. <sighs> Just don't emote. Yeah. He's like, we'll have time to, to get to know this guy, but it won't be this season. I was like. Cool, man. Tell me where to stand and what to say, buddy. I yeah. I, I can't wait. And then that was it. And and after season one, I did something after season one. But then after season one, uh, every off season, I did a job. Yeah. You know, taboo, secret in their eyes, whatever it was. And most of them were, all of them were either an offer or uh, this director wants to have a Skype session with you. He's a huge fan. Mm-hmm. And you were that, like, dude, who's still using that. Skype? <laughs> <laughs> it was season two. We didn't even know what Netflix was. Yeah. Uh, but he, you know, uh, it was uh, so much of the rest of my career, other than Doug Stamper, came from yeah, from Doug Stamper. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but Jack Ryan. Yeah. Oh, they want you to come do this show. What? Like, they're offering me. Want to just show up now? 
That's insane. <laughs> so you got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah, John Krasinski sounds pretty cool. Yeah. You know? But that's amazing. Yeah. So I am so but, grateful. But you, you build a career to then get a job that's, you know, you're like your mom right now. You're in that second <laughs> second career. Second like career. House of Cards Ford is a whole other career for you because it's just like, yeah. you know, almost like you that character's written it's almost like i remember doing a movie one time and i said to the the director i'm like this is the first time i've ever really like solely appreciated what a casting director does because i'm looking at every person i'm like yeah no one else could play that role right like and your character there's like no one people could be like who else they'd be like oh, i don't know who else would even play that role you know yeah it's interesting right yeah. you, you see it and you're like you know robin wright who else would play claire underwood like, yeah just because you get so into into that character that you become you don't become that person, but you you created that that character. You developed that character over the years. You've lived with it. You know the writers would come to us in the later seasons, and they would say, "We're thinking about this for Doug. What do you think?" You know, last season. Like what would Doug do? Or yeah, what, stuff yeah. Like so that. like last season, season five. So tough shit. If the, if I'm spoiling anything at this point, I mean, if you're not caught season up, season five. Come on. Uh, so they came to me and it was when Frank and Claire sit me down and asked me to take the fall for the death of Zoe Barnes, who Francis had murdered. Mm-hmm. Will you take the fall? And Dude. they said, and they came to me and they were like, what do you think? If they asked you, what would, what would Doug do? And I was like, yeah, of course he would. Yeah. That's what a chief of staff does. You need a fall guy. The chief of staff is almost always the fall guy. Yeah. And his loyalty to Francis was above everything. His loyalty to his job was above everything. So they came to me before they wrote that that scene. And they were like, what do you think you would do? Because we have this That's a pretty big moment. moment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously his loyalty this year is just it's insane. It's yeah. insane. That's amazing, man. Because yeah. like it, it all becomes one cohesive unit, I guess, when yeah. you're all like when you're that deep into a show. Yeah. You know? The the Nev Campbell thing uh last season when uh two two seasons ago the two of us got on really well we're very good friends mm-hmm. and uh the writers said can we take you guys to dinner like, yeah sure we had filmed five six episodes at that point together and she's sort of like the lady stamper you know mm-hmm. she's claire's version of stamper and we hate each other Our characters hated each other but there was something you know Awesome. They're like, this is weird because we feel they sat us down. This is weird because we feel this sexual thing between these two characters. What do you guys think? And I was like, (laughs) it's Nev Campbell. I'm like, oh, they would. Yeah. Without a doubt, they sleep together. (laughs) Of course they would. Long standing relationship and a lot of snuggling. Uh, No, but I was like, yeah, of course. And then I was like, no, look, I think they would. But it would never happen again. Mm -hmm. They would sleep together. It would happen once and they would both just shut off. Yeah compartmentalize that never gonna happen again and so that helped That's that storyline yeah you know? but they consulted us because they were like you guys know these two people better than we do yeah you know That's pretty cool insane. it's crazy man it just uh it became <clears throat> a lot of fun but you know i think also you know artistically as writers for them to be secure enough in what they're doing yeah. and what their job is to go to you guys and ask that that's yeah. what makes great great is people checking egos at the door Mm -hmm. and being like yeah who cares who came up with this idea we'll take advice from people 
that aren't writers per se. You're interpreting the writing that right. they're doing. That's what, and that's know. what I would say to them too. I'm always like, look, I'm not gonna. I, I remember going to Bo Willman once, and that that crazy AA monologue that I had in the in the, in the AA meeting, uh, and I, I work very hard to memorize. Like, I, it takes me a long time. Oh which yeah, is good because I feel like I've gone over the material a thousand times, even from doing plays. Yeah, no, I just. For whatever reason, it takes me forever. Like and I've got to really live it. Like if you gave me a two-page scene, mm -hmm. hours. Like how many hours times did hours. you read it? You think fifty? Wow, 100? that's yeah. that's comforting to me because I'm terrible yeah. with memorizing. No, I'm just awful. Like every, I would drive back and forth to Baltimore, and that's what I would do. I would listen to my lines. I record them all, three and a half hours, three hours, whatever it was, yeah. driving back and forth, listening to my lines. Uh, forget what I was saying. A meeting. Oh, AA meeting. Yeah. And and I said to Bo the night before we went to dinner and I was like, Bo, something's wrong with this monologue tomorrow. It was a big monologue. And I was like, I just can't. And he's like, what is it? And I was like, I don't know, man. I'm not a writer, but I know that everything you've given me up to this point, I've been able to absorb and memorize and make sense out of something's not right. And I don't know what it is. It's like, all right, I'll look it over tonight. Come to work an hour early tomorrow and, and, and I'll have something for you. I was like, okay. So I went to work about two and a half hours early yeah. <laughs> and he handed it to me and he handed it to me and I read it and I was like, oh my God. And he's like, what do you think? I was like, it's fucking, this is brilliant. This is perfect. But you didn't tell him what I it couldn't. I couldn't. I'm not a writer. I just knew it wasn't right. And, I what, knew did, it wasn't, and what did he change? Do you know what it yeah, was? Yeah, he totally changed the monologue. He yeah. completely changed the wording and a lot of it had changed. Yeah. It was the fuck the zero monologue. Yeah. And he completely changed it. And I was like, this is incredible. And he's like, all right, cool. We'll do that then. And I was like, how the fuck am I going to memorize this? We're shooting this in like four hours. And he's like, you'll get it. We'll start on their coverage and you'll get it. And it was funny once the pressure was taken off of me yeah. to have to be the one responsible at work, I was able to absorb it quicker. Mm -hmm. So I do think a lot of it's mental because I don't want to be the guy who shows up to set ever looking at my sides, reading my sides and then them rolling and then taking six takes for you to get into it and mm -hmm. find all the words. If I've got it all in my head, like 1000% locked in, then I can play yeah, and I can listen course. to the other actor and I can react. Yeah. Knowing what my line is, knowing what's coming up, but just be in it. And that's to me the hardest, the, the, the best job you can do as an actor is to just well, right. I mean, think of it like this: a guy. A, 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 take it back to baseball. You know, Freddie Freeman is going to go work the cage for hours and hours, so when he gets in the game, he can react to a curveball or a changeup yeah. or a fastball and know that his body and brain are going to know to react. Right? No guy. There's no. You can't. You can't react to a, a changeup when you were thinking fastball, but your body can. Like anytime right. <laughs> I do something in golf, like if I'm meaning to do a shot and something else happens and someone's like, did you mean to do that? I used to always be like, nah, I didn't mean it. I got lucky. And then I said, no, you know what? I'm an athlete. And in my takeaway, I had one thought, but then everything changes once you start moving. And my body said, oh no, we're going to switch and do this now. Then it's fine. I'm taking credit for it. So it's interesting, you know, yeah. I feel the same way, you know, in that is if you do all the work and you have it locked in, then you're going to be able to react because you're being the person, you're yeah. being the, that character. And, and in all honesty, you know, looking back, like House of Cards is an example. If, you, if, I, if I take a whole season and all the scenes I have over the season, there's probably two or three times 
in the whole season that it happened, that both characters were in that scene. Mm-hmm. You know, if that makes any sense, it's like yeah, most right. of the time you're acting. Sometimes that magic fucking happens where it's just like, holy shit, we just did that scene. <laughs> we just yeah. we just were that scene. Yeah. And it happened with Kevin, it happened with Ron, Rachel Brosnahan, it happened with... And would uh, you feel, would you guys both feel it? And would you like... Yeah, you yeah. acknowledge it. You know, you're just like, wow, that was, that was fun. That, yeah. was, that was really fun. And Rachel Brosnahan especially, she's, she's a fucking talent, man. Um, How do you feel that when you work with an actor that's just so legit? Do you... Because you hear people say all the time, like, oh, they're, they like elevated my game. Yeah. And it's why? Because it's just coming at you so real? Like, what happens? Yeah, yeah just, you know... It just because it just happens I think that's sometimes it just happens and you're just like oh what the fuck was that <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was cool it always catches you by surprise because you're ready to be aware that there's a camera right there or that the boom is hanging two inches above your head or yeah or, or that the, the, the screen behind you is green and then they're going to put something else in there you're aware of it all sometimes you just lock into that person and you're not all of a sudden you're not aware of everything that's around you and you're just doing it yeah and and like i said it doesn't happen that often but when it does you're just like you know it's like a good golf shot yeah you're like oh i could be such a good golfer if i did that every (laughs) single time every time i'd be great yeah i'd be a pro yeah (laughs) well man that's a great place to end thanks so much for doing this dude such a treat it's always good to see you brother you too buddy